Check, check. All right. You guys ready? Who is at the conference over the weekend? All right, come on. Wasn't that a blast? That was fun. That was, that was awesome. Oh, yes, water. Perfect. All right. Well, it has uh, been a little bit. I think I was here a couple years ago on like a Wednesday night or some weeknight, and we had a blast. And, and um, so it's just good to be back in this Wailing wall and testimony wall is pretty epic. Uh, I love the cane up there. We had a, um, you know, it, it, we, in my, we had a, I was a junior high pastor from 2005 to 2008, and we would decorate our youth room with uh, uh, empty wheelchairs, crutches, canes, and neck braces, and wrist braces from all of our youth praying for people getting healed. And it was always fun because you just never knew, you know, when the wall was going to be decorated. Like, you know, it was like kind of just adding art to the, to the wall. And, and uh, it'd be pretty epic in the parking lot. I'd be walking to church and uh, and there'd be kids like waving crutches from people getting healed in the parking lot like ministry time is all the time right you know it's, it's just good it's just good to watch God show up and um, man, I have a I'm kind of in this place I have two messages and then Jim said that he's going through Ephesians and one of them is all about Ephesians so yeah, let's do, let's do that. Let's do that. So uh, forget John. Um, well, don't forget John. But I mean, uh, <laughs> you can turn to Ephesians 1. And it's, it's awesome that you guys are going through Ephesians. Uh, I've been just spending time with the Lord over the last two, two and a half years. The Lord has been speaking to me quite a bit about how there's another Jesus people movement about ready to happen. And um, yep, so there's two of you that are in agreement. That's good. Uh, and so... <clears throat> The Lord really has been speaking to me about how there's another Jesus people movement, and I've been studying the 60s and studying before the Jesus people movement happened and just uh, uh, what was going on in our country, what was going on in the church, what was going on uh, politically and media and all that different stuff, and also the, what God was doing with that generation of you know, teenagers all the way until the early 30s. And right now we have an interesting, well, first of all, let me just give you a little bit uh, of self-discovery for me. Uh, it was in November, I was with a pastor uh, that I'm on the board at in Central California, uh, Everyday Church, it's a great church, and we were hanging out talking, and he did his, uh, he got his PhD, and he did this whole study about the generations, the millennials, and Gen Xers, and the baby boomers, and then he begins to tell me, Chad, uh, do you know that you're a millennial? And I'm like, wait, wait, what? No, 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 I'm not a millennial, I'm a Gen Xer. Like, I was, I was, I was in high school before, uh, you know, Y2K and the whole deal, and I went and saw Sublime before the, the guy died. I, I, I listened to Kurt Cobain and Pearl Jam when I was in junior high, I mean, like, you know, in, into high school. And, uh, and that was before, you know, Kirk Cobain died. And so, like, yeah, I felt like I'm a Gen Xer. And I guess they changed it. It used to be 87 and on, our millennials. And then about, oh, about seven, eight years ago, they changed it to those that are 84, born 84 and beyond. And just recently, and it depends on what study you look at, uh, but there are a lot of studies that show it's 1980. And I'm 81. So I'm like, wait, I'm a, I'm a millennial? What the heck is going on? And uh, no, no, I, so the Lord, 
the Lord hasn't really been speaking to me about, you know, in 2005, I began to pastor 10 to 13 year olds. And those guys are like the legit millennials, meaning that I had a cell phone. My first cell phone was when I was 23 years old, you know, and, and, uh, and my first, I got the, my first email when I was 18. And so I was pastoring junior high kids at 10 years old, having iPhones and the whole deal. And I would just be like, what in the world are these kids doing? Like they would always be texting one another while I'd be speaking. And then, uh, and then we would, you know, the whole deal. So anyways, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but I didn't realize this invitation to be a father to millennials and discovering that I, I kind of am uh, in, the, in the front you know, age range of millennials. And I feel like I'm a bridge of millennials and Gen Xers. And it's intriguing with the Gen Xers, right? Do you have any Gen Xers in here? Yeah, it's intriguing. Like when we were teenagers and young adults, we kind of just told society, leave us alone. And then we got left alone. And we're like, man, baby boomers are the greatest generation. Millennials, they say in like four years, will outnumber baby boomers. And it's like us Gen Xers kind of just got, you know, like put in the corner somewhere. And, and so anyways, it's just intriguing studying the generations and studying millennials and then studying what God was doing in the 60s. And it, it's pretty crazy to watch. Uh, well, first of all, the, the studies in the church. And this just shows you the need and kind of gives us a little bit of pulse of where we're at is uh, if you look at the beginning of the 1900s, that all the way up into the 50s, they would say about 40, those that grew up in the church that are now ages 18 through 25, they would say about 45% to 50% stay in the church. So those that grew up in the church that are now ages 18 to 25, you know, from the early 1900s all the way until the 1950s, about 45, 50% stayed in the church that were ages 18 to 25. And then in the 60s, it dropped below 20%. And so there was a need. There was, you know, the church needed to adjust a little bit where, you know, church was you had to come in with suits on. And so any long hairs, any, you know, people that didn't wear shoes, you're not allowed to come to church. You weren't allowed, like they, they would say, hey, you're not allowed to come here. And so the church kind of began to miss a generation. And then Chuck Smith, who was a pastor of 60 people in Costa Mesa, he had like a time with his family and he looks at his son-in-law. Well, he looks at everyone and says, hey, will you guys go pick up a hippie? Because I want to like talk to them. And what is Chuck saying? Hey, I want to like learn their language. I want to learn like how do we reach these guys because the church is missing them. And so... Chuck Smith's son-in-law picks up a hitchhiker. That hitchhiker's Lonnie Frisbee. That's not a coincidence. Brings him over to the house. They have this great time, this great meeting. And, you know, then the, the Sunday night service blows up, and Kay Smith gives this whole prophetic word about revival going up and down the I-5. Tens of thousands of people baptized in the Pacific Ocean. And uh, my wife, Julie, and I, we lived in uh, Corona Del Mar for about a year and a half. That's where they did all the baptisms of the Jesus people movement. And my wife and I would pray there constantly or, or go take walks on the beach and do date night there. And I remember one time in particular, it was 2010, and we were walking on the beach together and this uh, ladybug landed on my head. And I'm like, oh, what is this like, you know, ladybug do it in my hair. And I went to go grab it and Julie goes, no, 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 it's prophetic. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> 
Okay, all right, yes, let's just leave it, you know, in my hair, you know, and, and so we're, we're like walking, and she's like, I don't know why, it's just really, really prophetic, it's prophetic, and, and so, you know, we're walking for a good hour, it's still there, and then we're getting to the car, and I'm like, honey, this thing is like laying eggs now, like, let's get, we're going to dinner, like, I'm gonna go put in the bushes or something, and uh, a couple of days later, I went to Seattle, Washington, and uh, Bob Jones and I were doing this like leadership retreat deal. And so Julie and I walk into the hotel and there he is in the, in the foyer and he goes, boy, the anointing's all over you. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Bob. Yeah, 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 the anointing's all over me. Like, oh, you know, that, that's awesome. He goes, no, 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 there's a ladybug on top of your head. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then that's when I was like, whoa, wh- okay, tell me more. And he goes, ladybugs represent the anointing. And I begin to study ladybugs and they're known as defenders of the harvest. In, in like the farming community. They're the defenders of the harvest. And, and so Bob began to talk to me about the anointing and, and how ladybugs represent the anointing. But that's where the Jesus people movement happened, you know, which is pretty awesome. And so the Lord has been really been speaking to me about how there's another Jesus people movement. And it, when the Jesus people movement hit, it ramped back up to those that grew up in the church, ages 18 through 25. It ramped back up to 50%, 60%. And then we've had moves of God since then in the, in the 70s and the 80s, the reestablishment of the prophetic and the prophets in the 80s. And, and uh, then you had obviously Toronto and Brownsville and so forth. But if you study the church right now from 2010 till now, we have dropped those that have grown up in the church ages 18 through 25. It's below 20% which hasn't been since the 60s. And if you study the 60s and you, know, you look at what was going on in our country, don't worry, I'll make this a legal meeting in a second and I'll just, uh, we'll, we'll look at Ephesians 1, verse, we'll, we'll start in verse 13. But if, if you, it's interesting, the journey of this generation and what were they labeled? They were labeled you know, rebellious, Rebel against the man, rebel against organized religion, rebel against your parents, and, and this whole deal. And there was a lot of anti-American, uh, you know, they were anti-establishment, and the whole deal. And uh, what was, and then these, these songwriters started coming, right? You had Neil Young, Bob Dylan, uh, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, that were beginning to be a voice for a generation, right? And... <clears throat> What was one of the culminating events of, uh, of, that, of that generation in the areas of music would be Woodstock. And they called that an anti-American rally, which I would just submit to you that I don't think it was anti-American. I think it was the journey of a generation saying, what does my America going to look like? And it was the generation trying to figure out, man, what is, the, what is our America? What do we want our America to look like? And one of the aha moments of Woodstock was Jimi Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Banner on his electric guitar, which the electric guitar at that time was devil music. Uh, you know, if you play the guitar, which is, I mean, yeah, there we go, electric guitar right there. And then they would say that that was like the devil in the church. But here he is playing the Star Spangled Banner. It was one of the greatest moments of Woodstock. And it was a moment for a generation saying, that's what my America looks like and sounds like. Jimi Hendrix not having any vocals, but just playing the Star Spangled Banner on his electric guitar. 
And if you study music, uh, and you just study, uh, I've been going, the Lord, okay, let me back up. About two and a half years ago, when this whole started, I was in Central California, and I drove back home to Reading, and I was doing ministry, and I got home at 11 p.m., and I was hungry, and I went into my kitchen, and suddenly the Lord comes into my kitchen, and he touches my heart, and I just get rocked, which is not normal in my kitchen, especially at 11 p.m. when I'm exhausted and I've been speaking like multiple times to the weekend, and I just wanted a little snack. And I got way more than I bargained for. And I'm on the ground, like just weeping. And Julia gets woken up, you know, like she's already asleep. And she's like, Chad, are you okay? And then suddenly I get taken up to heaven. And this angel gives me these scrolls. And the first scroll says authenticity. And then the second scroll says vulnerability. And then the third scroll says transparency. And then the next scroll says presence. And the Lord started breaking down these different scrolls and about presence and how to be present, which is one of the things millennials, like we're, we're that's one of the things that we're going to get. I mean, there's, I, the Lord's teaching us how to be present. And then the Lord said, one of your greatest mentors will be your daughter who was six months at the time, six months old at the time. That would be one of my greatest mentors, and she has been. She's now two and a half years old, and she's been discipling me for, you know, a good two and a half years. <laughs> she's taught me how to be present. And the Lord began to speak to me and say, hey, I want you to begin, like, these are things that you're going to begin to grow and model in, and, and that I want you to begin to father a generation. And that he began to talk to me about what happened to the Jesus people movement, and you need to study it, and history has a tendency of repeating itself, but it's going to look different. And Chad, I want to teach you the language of heaven, and then how to articulate it to a generation that's never heard the gospel in their language. Okay, so for the last six months, the Lord said, hey, I want you to start asking people, have you ever heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I would say I've asked probably around 150, 180 people this, and there's about 25 people that have said, I've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just get to give them the simple gospel of Jesus Christ about relationship and you know, having intimacy with Jesus, the creator of the universe. And people are just getting radically saved. But the Lord is going to begin to teach us. And he's after a generation, and that doesn't mean just millennials. It's like generation, is, that transcends age, gender, and race. Like if you're breathing, you're here for a reason. We all need one another, and he is. He's, he's building bridges with the generations. But millennials, they're on a journey, and they're, they're trying to discover who they are. I mean, you know, we, a big deal going on right now in that generation uh, is the whole gender deal, right? So that means that the enemy is trying to attack identity, and so there is going to be an outpouring of the spirit of adoption. But it's been a, a fun journey, and... I'll break down a little bit more of this journey as we get into Ephesians 1. Just really quick, is there anybody here, your, your birthday or like anniversary is September 25th? I just keep on getting September 25th. Is that birthday? Anniversary? And that's birthday? Stand, stand up birthday, boy. You know, there's a real strong leadership call on your life. 
and uh, there's, I just saw the words leader over your head, and, uh, and it's going to be, um, you, you're going to be a bridge builder, and it's not just, it'll be the generations, but you're going to build bridges with business and with the church, and, uh, and that you're going to begin, it's almost like you're also going to be an out-of-the-box evangelist. Like, I see you going into business places, and I see you going into, like, conference rooms, and people are going to be, that have been really hurt by the church, or, like, offended of the church, and they're going to be like, hey, what is it about you? Like, I just trust you. And you're going to look at them and say, it's safe to come home. It's safe to come home. Like, hey, I know that maybe man misrepresented God in the past and in the church, but hey, I know a great church, and it's safe to come home. And I feel like you're going to be a bridge for people to come back into the church that are in the business room that have been hurt by the church. And also, you're going to see radical salvations in business. But there's something about you doing like leadership training. There's something about you um, like helping people to discover the leader inside of them. Um, what's up with June 4th? Is that anything? No? June 4th. Well, you know, we're just going for it. <laughs> yeah, but there's, this, there's a real strong leadership and a business deal on you. And then also, you're going to see, um, there's like an upgrade in healing on your life, that you're going to see people get healed, and even people uh, healed in your family. Uh, you're going to see people get radically touched in your family, and that's almost like uh, you're going to be an intercessor for your family. The Lord's going to begin to teach you about intercession in this next season as well, and just how, uh, and it's, but it's out of the box uh, intercession. Like, like he's going to begin to just teach you how to co-labor with him, and so it's going to be really, really fun. So Lord, just rock him really good. Amen. Amen. Hey, there's, um, I feel like too, the Lord is going to begin to connect you to joy and, um, and that there's like, uh, what? Oh, wow. Okay. Well then, yeah, he's connected you already to joy. And, um, but so joy, stand up. That's what joy looks like guys right there. Yeah, there's um, joy that um, I see, like, there's just such a strong, like, deliverance anointing on you and freedom, and, uh, and, and there's a, this freedom deal. There's an awakening uh, uh, call on your life to awaken people into their calling, to awaken people into their destiny, in, in, um, and there's, in, like, an identity deal, like, uh, people that are missing the, the, the building blocks of their identity, you're going to help them discover their identity, and, and the missing puzzle pieces or something about, so that's a real spirit of revelation and illumination, and also there's an island call on your life. I see the islands all over you, and um, that there's something about you going to the islands and having authority. Have you ever been to the islands? Okay, well, then there you go. So... But, but there is an authority for the land, and, um, and there's a, I, I talked about your husband having a healing anointing. There's a healing anointing on you for land, like, 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 like where there's been injustice or where there's been like famine or drought, and I talked to him about a little bit about intercession, and there's something about you guys being a family unit, ministering together, and healing the land together, and bringing justice where there's been injustice. And so, Lord, just wreck joy, fill her up with more and more joy. And uh, get this family really, really good. So,
So June 4th means nothing. Not yet. June's coming. <laughs> Get ready. Jesus. It's so good. All right. October 17th. Just, just stand up. Uh, October 17th. Good. October is my encounter month. So um, I feel like... So is that birthday? Okay. I feel like you guys are about ready to come into a whole new season of encounters. And that there is an anointing uh, for encounters uh, on, on your guys' lives. To encounter the Lord. To encounter heaven. To encounter... The, the angelic, and then to be an encounter. Like there's a breaker anointing on the three of you to bring people into encounters. And so, Lord, we just wreck. Like I just pray that you would just wreck. You could only give away what you have. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that these guys would have radical encounters, that there would be a whole new wooing of intimacy, a whole new wooing of just breakthrough. And um, this is going to be, this is going to be, Is there, is there a Conrad in any of your guys' lives? That's your son. And I know Conrad. Well, um, I, 23. There you go. Yep. And uh, that's when I started junior high ministry. Well, the Lord's about ready to just wreck Conrad. And, um, and, and there's something about the two of you guys ministering together. Um, and and uh, there's something about um, restoration. There's something about, uh, there's even promises that he's given to you about Conrad. There's promises that Conrad is, is carrying, that the Lord's about ready to, to, to like bring back into fullness and fruition. And, uh, and I even see uh, the two of you guys ministering together and running together. And, um, and Lord, I just thank you, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, for this, for this man. Just wreck him really, really, really good that you would just begin to breathe on his life and, uh, and just take him to whole new levels. <laughs> Amen. Okay. All right, you guys can sit down. <laughs> Ephesians. Ephesians. Okay, Ephesians 1, verse 13. In him you also. Done. Microphone drop. I meditated on this for about a good four months, about two and a half years ago. This is what started me on my journey with this whole thing of the Jesus people movement. In him, you also. So let me just, if there's one thing that I can impart to you is a passion and a love for Jesus this morning. And I feel like there is a wooing, there's an invitation from heaven to discover another level of revelation of who Jesus is. And that is the whole point of this Jesus People movement. And about two and a half years ago, I had an open vision. I was in a conference in San Diego. I had an open vision, and I saw a doorway, and there was no doors. I just saw this doorway, open doorway, and over the doorway, it said adoration. And then I saw Jesus through the doorway, and he was wooing the church, inviting the church through the doorway of adoration to discover him. And I don't know if you've noticed this, and you usually have this as one of the first things that, that of an expressions of a move of God is worship. And I feel like a generation is about ready to encounter the spirit of adoration. 
I mean, what do we, what do we have in worship right now? You know, we had United Pursuit last night. You know, you've got Bethel and Hillsong and Kansas City, and you have people writing songs of, hey, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I don't want religion. I want relationship. I want tangible God that I could touch, that I could experience. I want an authentic God that's real, that's tangible. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to sing right to you. Which sounds like the generation that David was prophesying in Psalm 24, a generation who will ascend the hill of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart, a generation who will seek his face, a generation who will become the gatekeepers, the doorway for the king of glory to come in. That sounds like Ephesians 2, us being the building blocks, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. We are the dwelling place of God, the habitation. We are the gatekeepers. We are the gates. We are the doorways. This whole place of in him, you also. In him, you also. I don't know about you, but that just blows my mind. In him, you also. This is talking about the gospel. This is talking about our inheritance. This is talking about us being grafted into the bloodline of Jesus and the king of glory. In him, you also. I don't know about you, but that just, that, that blows me away. After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Go down to verse 17, and I believe this right here, verse 17 and 18, are some of the greatest prayers that we should be praying in the church. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He's like, this is my prayer for you. That there'd be a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm telling you, there is an open door. There is an invitation for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come flushing, like just flooding down in the knowledge of Jesus. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I don't know about you, but this stirs me up. I love uh, reading the Bible and getting good like indicators of and a good pulse of where the church is at. And right now we have it's it's been so much fun to kind of just watch the establishment of the fivefold ministry come into the church. Right? It's been pretty awesome to to watch what's been going on in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, and now we are in 2017. And we're just, you know, going through Ephesians, and you guys are going to be doing that for the next couple months or a month or whatever it may be. But look at uh, Ephesians 4, verse 11, which is, you know, everyone pretty much knows. This is the whole establishment of the, of the fivefold ministry. But I just want to break this down. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up to the body of Christ. And that's currently kind of where we're at, right? 
Okay, yeah, uh, that Todd White guy, like he's an evangelist. He is equipping the church for evangelism. You know, Sean Bowles, yeah, you know, he's, he's pretty prophetic. He's equipping the church to prophesy, to move in the prophetic, right? And so we're beginning to learn how to identify the fivefold, and it's in this place of functioning, of equipping the saints for the work of service, which has been pretty awesome. I'll never forget in 2002 being called into Bill Johnson's office, and he says, I had a dream. It was me, Chris Overstreet. Me and Chris Overstreet were in his office. He said, I had a dream that we were playing a football game. It was the church versus like hell, like the, the demonic horde. And we were tied in the end of the third quarter. And then the father who was the coach looks down the sidelines. All right, it's the beginning of the fourth quarter. Everybody's in. <laughs> Nobody sits on the sidelines. And the enemy could only, what is it, football? 12 people? Is that, is that what's allowed to be on the field? whatever the number is, that, that's all the enemy could have in there. But the church and the church sidelines, everybody goes in. And that's what we're going. That This is what's happening is the church is being equipped. We all get to play. We're all in the game. Nobody sits on the sidelines. Nobody sits, you know, just in your chairs. We get to get our hands dirty. We get to have some fun. We get to have some tackles, some touchdowns. Practice your touchdown dance. <laughs> but that's not the bullseye. That's not the ending place and, the, and, the, and the, the end goal of the establishment of the fivefold ministry. And it begins to talk about this place of the spirit of unity. And so we all attain to the unity of faith. And so that's where we're going, you guys. There's a spirit of unity, and I've had a reoccurring dream ever since I was 11 years old. About every, oh, about eight to, to, to 10 months, I have a reoccurring dream ever since I was 11 years old, where I'm in a huge field or a stadium, and I'm on the stage with hundreds of people, and there's anywhere from 60,000 to a million people out in the crowd, and people are holding banners that, uh, that, that you know, communicate their denomination and Assemblies of God, Foursquare, Vineyard, Calvary, you know, all the different denominations are there. And we're, we're beginning to preach about how God, you know, told us to pray on earth as it is in heaven and that we're all family. Whether you believe you need to be sprinkled to be baptized in a, in a lukewarm jacuzzi, a very freezing cold pool, the Pacific Ocean, a lake, it doesn't matter that if you love Jesus and you believe that he died on the cross and rose again in three days and he's your best friend, your Lord and Savior, then we're going to be hanging out together for eternity. So why don't we bring heaven down to earth and let's worship together and then this dimension of God's presence comes crashing in that I've only encountered in my dreams and it's this dimension of unity and we're about ready that's where we're going but that's not the bullseye the bullseye is right here and of the knowledge of the son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ that is the bullseye that is the ultimate reason and goal and function for the fivefold to be established, is to bring us in as a church to the full revelation of the mature man, Jesus. You know, it was about two years 
little over two years ago that, and, and this is pretty, this is obviously pretty public, but I had a really good friend who is like a legit false teacher. No, no, like he was in my wedding. His wife was in my wedding. We've known these guys since 2002. And it's, uh, it's Jason Westerfield. And I'm not going to like camp on this too much, but, but I was actually at the meeting um, that he did at Red Lion at the end. Paul Manwaring, he called me uh, from South Africa and it was Final Four weekend. And uh, we had just had a huge, I had like, I worked on my backyard all day with like 10, my backyard, by the way, is amazing. 18 nations have helped me build my backyard. And um, we, you know, just go on my Instagram and you'll see my backyard. Uh, it's, it's, it's like an oasis and it's amazing. So I spent all day, like, and this is like two and a half years ago. Well, this is, uh, yeah, well, this is, this is like two years ago in a month. So this is the beginning of April. And uh, I spent all day working in the backyard, and then I had a bunch of people over. I've got this awesome projector, and we're watching the Final Four. The, the, it's Saturday, so we're watching the, the, the Final Four matchup. And it's like 9 p.m. I'm kind of like winding down for the night. All my friends have just left. And Paul calls me and goes, hey, have you heard about the Jason Westerfield meetings? And I'm like, no, I knew he was in town, but no, I haven't heard him. And I thought when he said that, like, oh man, cool stuff must be happening. Like, you know, that's where I went. And he goes, hey, I need you to go check it out. I've heard some like, you know, kind of bad reports. So me and my sister and my intern, we go to these Jason Westerfield meetings and it was, it was, it was pretty crazy. It was, it was so crazy, you'd call it cray cray. And it was just, you know, it was such a bummer because you know, it was just, it was, it was coming from a lot of place of hurt. And this is my friend and my heart breaks for him. And I had him over to the house the next day, him and his wife and his kids. We put on a Disney movie with his kids and, and, uh, you know, just hearing his heart, like I asked him, like, what was your agenda? And he's, you know, like, what was your, what was, what was your goal for putting these meetings on? And I just began to see, man, he is crazy, like deceived. Like this is, this is nuts. And it broke my heart. I began to wrestle with God. And it kind of like that was the straw that broke the camel's back because it was so close to home. And I would be traveling around the world for, you know, for many, many years. And I'd hear these weird like theology stuff and hyper grace and just begin to see like a generation really struggling in this area of just trying to find. But they're asking questions. Like, and that's pretty awesome. But it's taking them to some interesting places. And I began to just like cry out to God. I'm like, man, this hit me close to home. I've got a friend now who's like a legit false teacher, and it breaks my heart. And, and I just begin to just like, man, God, what's going on? And he goes, Chad, if, if sin, where sin abounds, how much more does grace abound? So if there's all this crazy, weird theology, how much more of the like authentic theology am I about ready to release? And he began to talk to me about the banking system. Like, hey, when they, when, when, you know, the bank managers, uh, train their employees to expose counterfeit currency, they have them become so familiar with the real thing. And this is where my point of all this is you got universalism, you got all this sort of stuff, and I just begin to cry out to God, God, why, why is my generation like spending so much time and energy trying to articulate the boundary lines of the outer courts to the wilderness when we have been invited to live in the Holy of Holies? I don't want to be familiar with the outer courts and the inner courts. I want to become so familiar with the Holy of Holies. And that's the invitation that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ. To go into the throne room with boldness. That's where we're called to live. That's where we're called to be familiar. And when we're familiar with that, it's going to be easy to, counter, to, to expose counterfeit currency. 
And again, it's all about Jesus. Becoming so familiar with Jesus. You guys doing okay? Did that, did that, get, did that get a little too intense? Jesus. There's just an invitation to discover more of Jesus. To fall in love with him all over again. And to go deeper. And there's a need. But we can only give away what we have. And I feel like there's this, this invitation to encounter him and then to encounter a generation. And there's a generation looking, searching. And this is, you know, a report they did in Iceland where they have, they did this study and they uh, came to the conclusion that 99% of those in Iceland that are ages 25 and younger believe that God didn't create the planet. There's something in me that goes, man, I'd like to put a youth and young adult conference on in Iceland. I mean, just, you know, these studies just show me, man, there's an incredible need. And it's very similar to what was going on in the 60s. And then suddenly there was this explosion. And I'm telling you, we are about ready to see an explosion. Because there's a generation out there that is searching. But become so familiar with the Holy of Holies. In him, you also, this whole place of inheritance. I was uh, preaching on a Sunday night at Bethel, and I'm on the floor, and I was preaching, I was going to preach this message on how to become a revival center, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm down there on the floor, and, and the Lord says to me, Chad, it's no longer okay to say you didn't have another brother growing up. So a little history about me is I had an older brother who died uh, um, at birth, stillborn birth, and uh, he was about 18 months older than me. And I always would, um, like, and my middle name's Michael, named after him. And so I'd always wonder, what would it be like if I had an older brother? Like, you know, me being the middle child, would my personality be different? Would it be like playing sports with him? What would it be like, you know, as we got older and I got married, like we would do double dates together? Or, and it was not, I didn't think about this once a month or every other month. I just had the thought every now and again in 35 years of life, you know, just it kind of came. And then, Jesus, and then God speaks to me and says, it's no longer okay to say you didn't have an older brother growing up. You did. His name was Jesus. And I'm about ready to give you revelation about Jesus being your older brother, that the church has discovered Jesus as the Prince of Peace, as the healer, as the provider, but they're about ready to discover a whole nother level of revelation of him being a big brother. And then the father began to say, I'm redeeming the elder brother, where people read about the prodigal son and the elder brother gets such a bad rap that I'm redeeming the elder brother and his name is Jesus. Suddenly, I'm in my old high school gymnasium. 
or I'm in the, my old high school locker room, and it's, and it's Friday night game night in the gymnasium. I grew up playing basketball, and I played for my uh, high school team, and, and I saw myself like in my basketball you know, jersey and the whole deal, and then they announced the starting five, and I'm among the one, um, one out of the five in the starting five, and I go running out there, and I see these banners, most points scored in a game, Jesus Christ, most rebounds in a game, Jesus Christ, state championship, Jesus Christ, and I see Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, all my friends and family in the stands, and Jesus says, your turn. And I don't know if you ever grew up playing sports, but and this wasn't directed ever towards me, but I would hear coaches say, oh, you're so-and-so's little brother? Oh, you're so-and-so's little sister? Well, you're on the starting five because your older brother broke records. You have the same DNA. John 14, 12, those that believe in me will do the same works as I do and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. Tag, you're it. All right, we're going to end here. Ephesians 3. We're just doing just Ephesians. It's so crazy that you guys are going through Ephesians. I think that's awesome. Ephesians 3, verse 16. This is like... This is like a power scripture for me. I mean, this is like if, if, if there were spiritual steroids, this would, be, this would be one of them. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. That pumps me up. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I would imagine that the majority of us have encountered a level of the love of God. But there's more to discover. That, that, there's more to discover of Jesus. How deep, how wide, how long is his love? And I feel like the Lord is just breaking apathy in the church, settling, compromising the church. And there's just like, you know, I mean, he's, and he's also breaking timidity, and this weird, and, and I know, I, I felt this thing in the church of this uh, embarrassed to be a Christian. You know, embarrassed to tell people you're Christian. But the Lord is redefining Christian. Because I understand that shame and stuff of, oh man, when I tell them I'm a Christian, it's going to be their perspective of, you know, their experience of Christianity. And, and that's not, you know, me. And so, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and I'm just saying that he's, he's getting ready to do an adjustment. But there's going to be first us as the church. We need to be breaking off that shame thing and going, you know what? I'm, I'm so in love with Jesus and I don't care what people think. But beginning to be able to learn how to articulate that. It's been crazy. I've been uh, just kind of just hanging out with millennials a lot. And I've been going to these music festivals. And I, it's crazy, like all the different things that God's been orchestrating in my life to kind of tell me, hey, Chad, like this is one of your mandates. Because I have a sister who's 10 and a half years younger than me. 
So I might be like a millennial Gen Xer fusion, weird, you know, but she's like a legit millennial, you know? So, so I like, you know, we've, our first, we went to Coachella, which is a music festival. And the reason why this is crazy is if you study music festivals, because going back to Woodstock, it was a music festival that marked a generation. And if you study music festivals in the 90s, they were poorly attended. 2000s, they were poorly attended. And then 2000, around 9, 10, 11, they started just kind of ramping up. And for the last seven, eight years, music festivals are going crazy. And so for the last three years, me and my sister, we've been going to music festivals, and it's been crazy to see like the, the culture of a generation. And that whole thing of present, like me and my sister have been going to, uh, we, we go to a lot of concerts, I've been studying music, and how just like Bob Dylan and Neil Young were a voice for a generation, what, what are the, you know, there's been these new songwriters that have been coming out for the last 10 years. And in the 90s, you know, growing up in high school and early 2000s, it was all about performance. And you had, like, what was the, the, the big, you know, uh, going to kill your music career deal was discovering that you're lip singing, right? Yeah. And how, how crazy, like, anti-authentic is that? To find out that you're not even performing. But the emphasis in the late 90s with the boy bands and Britney Spears and all the deal was performing. But now it's this whole thing about songwriting and there's all this different stuff that's happening. And uh, so I've been just going to these music festivals and just getting the heart of a generation and begin, beginning to pray and intercede. Okay, God, begin to give me the language of heaven and then teach me how to articulate it to a generation that's never heard the gospel in their language. It's the same gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ and him crucified. And then releasing the power of God. But this whole place of encountering his love going deeper in this place, I feel like there's a wooing to go deeper. For us in the church, there is a wooing to go deeper with him, to not settle, to not compromise, and that there's, there's about ready to be moves of God that are going to bring us into a place where there's going to be suddenlies and experiences with him. And I love that because when you have suddenlies, it begins to build and reveal your equity with the Lord and with your history with the Lord, that there's moments that begin to enlarge your heart. And that's what he's about ready to do. He's about ready to enlarge your capacity and your heart to love him. Julie and I, we uh, were married nine years before we got pregnant with our first little girl. And we got pregnant nine years into marriage, and we had a lot of moments in our marriage. We went around the world for three years collectively. We did one trip around the world for 18 months, and we just had a blast together. You know, we've We've, we've pastored together, we've done all kinds of crazy adventures and all kinds of crazy stuff with family. We have a lot of history, we have a lot of moments. And then we discover we're pregnant, you know, and we're getting ready, like people, I'm reading books and everyone's like saying, you watch, like this little, this little package is gonna come and your heart's gonna be enlarged and you're not even, like, your capacity is gonna be uh, enlarged and this little Chad and Julia cocktail and just get ready. And, and so I'm like, okay, you know, I'm like trying to like get ready, prepare myself to be a dad. And we had Brielle, that's my daughter, 
Brielle, we had her uh, one month before our 10th anniversary. And so my wife is in transition. She's in labor, and I'm just trying to help her, trying to be the, the support and the whole deal. And, and so you know, I'm helping her out, and there's just something that happens that no one prepared or told me about. You guys are like, yeah. <laughs> My wife is in transition, and then she's in the last push of bringing Brielle into the world. And by the way, I caught Brielle. It was the greatest and most important catch I've ever made. I was the first fingerprints to touch my little girl. It was pretty epic, pretty special, pretty bonding. And so I catch, I catch Brielle, but in this moment, my heart, I could actually feel being enlarged in my capacity to love my wife because I'm in a moment that I've never been in with my wife. And we're about ready, like we've had moments with God in the past, but we're about ready to come into some new moments with God that are going to enlarge our capacity to love Him. You weren't required before because you haven't had that encounter, that experience. But the Lord is wooing you. He's releasing a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would begin to encounter Jesus and that he would take you deeper and deeper into the well of discovering the love of God and that your heart would begin to be enlarged. And then you begin to give that away to a generation. So just stand up with me. Honestly, it's, it's actually pretty difficult for me to say, hey, there's going to be another Jesus people movement. I don't really like doing that, to be honest. But I've had some pretty crazy encounters with the Lord where it's like, no, you need to. Like, it would be disobedient not to. But the whole deal is I'm not into hype. I'm not into, you know, getting, like, everyone excited and, and woohoo. No, no, like, there is a positioning, there is an invitation from God in this season. To fall deeper in love with Jesus. So just put your hand on your heart. So, Lord, we just pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. A spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And Lord, that you would take us deeper into your heart, that we wouldn't settle, that you would just break any shame, any compromise, any apathy, any place of just settling, say, hey, I'm good. Like my encounters with God, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good just to hang out right here. No, he's wooing you to go deeper. He's inviting you to go deeper. And Lord, I just pray that we begin to see the beginning stages of another Jesus people movement. History has a tendency of repeating itself, but it's going to look a little different. And I pray, Lord, that we would begin to learn the language of a generation. And that we wouldn't just label them entitled, judgmental, critical, lazy, but we would begin to see what God is doing in a generation and that we would begin to pour in identity, the spirit of adoption, sons and daughters. But this truly would be 
a season of the father's hearts turning towards the children and the children's hearts being turned towards the fathers and mothers. Lord, that you'd begin to marry the generations and that we would begin to run together. But Lord, let there just be an outbreak of salvation, an outbreak of discovering Jesus. So Lord, I just pray for hunger in this room. Lord, there would be just such a capacity to go after you that there would be an anointing for endurance. There would be a grace for speed and endurance in this room to go after you. And I feel like the Lord is going to begin to give you creative ideas how to give God opportunities to just wreck your heart. And I pray, Lord, that we would begin to recognize the moments when you're inviting us to go deeper. And that it wouldn't just be on a Sunday, but it would be on a Wednesday. It would be on a Thursday. It might be in our car. It might be at home. It might be in our workplace. But that we would begin to recognize moments where you're inviting us to go deeper with you. And Lord, I pray for worship. I pray, Lord, for the spirit of adoration that this is a house that does this so well. And that there would just be a spirit of adoration that rests in Columbus. Where the church at large would begin to adore Jesus. And through the doorway of adoration, they would discover more of who Jesus is. So Lord, I pray for songwriters. I pray, Lord, for songs that would begin to articulate the voice of a generation, the heart cry of a generation. And I pray, Lord, for aha moments of this generation, that they would come into a place of discovering their identity that comes from the Lord. Not what's just convenient, not what's just told to them from society or culture. But Lord, just wreck us. Amen. All right, Jim, I, um, just before we end this morning, I'm going to have Jim come on up. Thank you, Chad. It was good. Good, good.